Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And to go to the next slide even. The disciples were amazed at his words. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. And truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This week, um, we enter into something a little bit different. In fact, if last week you came and you left a little bit discouraged, let me just say I apologize for that. But in recognition of where we're going with this understanding of this series, certainly the gifts that God has given us are not all really difficult to bear. Sometimes it may appear that there is no upside. Take hiking, for instance. You pack up things on your back, you go out, you walk a trail, you get sweaty, you get tired, your feet hurt, bugs get you, you're, you're basically out there dirty and tired, and at the end, you get to basically go home and maybe take a shower, I don't know, or going to the beach. Is there an upside to going to the beach? You go to the beach, you get sand all over everything, you get sand in everything you brought, you, you get hot, you get sweaty, and just to top it off, you can get eaten by a shark, right? 
Perhaps Disney World is an option. Disney World, is there an upside to Disney World? Let me just ask you this. Is there an upside to going to Disney World where you wait in lines, you spend $15 on a bottle of water? Okay, going, to the, going for a hike, there is an upside. There's that sense of, of, of accomplishment. There's that interesting time of, of memories, all the fun that you have there. There's, there's these other uh, great things that go along with it. At the same time, uh, going to the beach, there's beautiful views. There's memories there. It's a, a, a great time. Disney World, there's, there's no upside to Disney World. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to move on. Last week might have felt a bit heavy. It might have felt uh, possibly bleak to some because when we looked at it, what we talked about seriously was the fact that it was based upon, the understanding of the gospel was based upon a Christian having to literally die to self. Giving up everything and dying to self. Let me just say the rewards that Jesus gives, the promise he gives, include the reward of Christ. To discover the reward of Christ today, we're going to look at three specific questions that we're going to answer. The first one specifically is this this simple one, what is salvation? What is the, the concept of salvation in and of itself? What does salvation mean? What is the purpose of having this, this, this word even in, in, and of, in and above itself? And in most cases, if you were to ask a believer, what is salvation? They're going to come back with a response that's going to be pointed directly towards this moment of conversion. Conversion is the moment to which someone comes before God, whether it be at an altar, a church, or or maybe in a a kitchen or a living room, or maybe in a coffee shop, or maybe driving in the car. The, The location is not necessarily as important as the heart. And basically, it's a moment where someone recognizes the fact that they are a sinner, that they that they are far from God, that they are dead spiritually, and in so doing, they step forward recognizing there is a Savior in Jesus. They accept that Savior, and at the same time, they they allow that Savior to permeate, to be the Lord, the, the ruler over, and the Savior, the one who brings atonement for their sins. It's this moment of, of, of believing in one's heart and, and receiving the Spirit and, and then at the same time uh, expressing with their lips what God has done in their life. Salvation, particularly the conversion moment, is an interesting one. In fact, as we answer this question, it's easier in a lot of ways to define what salvation is not rather than what it is. Today, I started with this passage as we talked about from the book of Mark. We talked about this man that embraced Jesus. He saw the power of Jesus and he said, you know what? I want what you have to offer. I want this salvation. And so he came to Jesus. And so we're going to use this as kind of a, a, um, a case study, so to speak. He came to Jesus and there in, in verse 17, right off the bat, it kind of defines this man. He, he, on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. This man was repentant. He recognized he needed something. And so he came before God. And and the recognition there is that he knew the invitation was there. He knew that the gift had already been given. And he was asking, how do I receive this gift? He called uh, Jesus a good teacher. This is a man of great wealth and an an official uh, of the court. And here we recognize that he had already had his own way or his recollection or his, his recognition of how to receive salvation. But he knew he knew, just like you and I know, if we're at a place where we're, we're, uh, we're not fully engaged with what God's doing, he knew that what he was using to fill that void in his heart was not sufficient. He knew that 
while he had all these things, while he'd followed all the rules, while he had honored his parents, and while he hadn't been a thief, and he hadn't lied, and all the things that, that, that Jesus said, here's the, here's the things you don't do, he knew that there was still something missing. I'd venture to say that many of us, even here today, know somebody, or we've been at a place in our life where we knew or we know that something is still missing. Whether it be the fact that we haven't fully given up control or we haven't said yes to God or maybe we've been fighting this whole thing because, you know what, I'm good enough or I've got it together or I've, I've gone to church long enough or, you know what, I tithe every week, so I've, I've got it. Well, right here, this man, just like some of us, recognizes the fact that he didn't have it all together. And so defining salvation, and like I said, is, is simple in a lot of ways, but it's easier to define what it's not. And the first thing is this. Salvation is not something one can earn or purchase. Salvation is not something that you can earn or purchase. It's not something where you can go out and you can say, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store and let's see what uh, inflation has. Okay, it's not very much. I've got enough money. I'm going to purchase this salvation. I'm going to go home. I'm going to put it on a shelf. I've got it here. I'm ready for when, when Jesus returns. When I pass away, I'll show him this card that I have, and therefore I'm set to go. I'm ready, and everything will work out okay. It's not like that at all, in fact. If you've ever heard the story of Hosea and Gomer, these, uh, these, this couple in the Old Testament, uh, not necessarily the ideal couple, in fact. Hosea was a righteous man who followed God and, and learned from him and did everything that God called him to do. And at one point in his life, God called Hosea to marry an unfaithful prostitute named Gomer. He said, I want you to take this woman as your wife. I want you to receive her where she's at. And I want you to bring her in. I want you to take her as your wife. And so Hosea was faithful to what God had called him to do. And he went and he, he, he went to Gomer himself. And he said, okay, I'm going to follow this woman. I'm going to do, or I'm going to follow God's plan. I'm going to take this woman. I'm going to bring her in. She's going to be my wife. And, and what took place was a very sad state of events. This woman, Gomer, instead of being faithful to this new man who said, okay, I want to bring you in. I want to, I want to, I want to uh, make you my wife. She continued to go out and, and to give her heart, to give herself to other people. In fact, in this, she was unfaithful time and time again, and each time Hosea would bring her back. And one time, he literally had to go, and he had to purchase her back from someone else because of the debts that she had incurred on herself. A belonging that he already owned, a, a person, so to speak, and that context is much different than we understand relationship today. He had to go, and he had to purchase and have her uh, to bring her back into his home once again. You see, in this specific situation, there was, there, was a, there was a falling away. There was a recognition of a void that was created. And the only way for that void to be eliminated, the only way for, for right relationship to take place between this, this bride and this, this husband was for the husband to step out and to once again pay the price for this bride. Well, the metaphor is true. The metaphor is, is quite glaring, in fact, for the church. What Christ recognizes that he has to pay or did pay the price for us. 
get that. We, we were created perfect in the presence of God, and we were created to live with God in unison with Him, but because of our sin, because we chose something else, this, this brokenness happened, this darkness occurred, and this separation between us and a holy God was there, and, and, and therefore, because of that, we were, there was no way we could span that chasm, span that, 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 that separation. Instead, God had to reach out and say, okay, the only way that this is going to work is if I pay the price. And so Jesus comes, God in human form, and he becomes that sacrifice, that price that's to be paid. There, there, was, there was nothing Gomer could do to accept Hosea's unconditional gift. There's nothing that we can do to pay for or to earn that unconditional gift. In fact, that is, that is the second part of that point. What is salvation? Salvation is a gift to be accepted. Salvation is something that we receive. It's a gift. You don't pay for a gift. At a birthday or, or Christmas or maybe when somebody gives you gifts for a baby shower or for a, a wedding shower, bridal shower, you don't pay for those gifts. In fact, they are literally a gift. If you paid for them, they would not be a gift. It would be something that you purchase. Instead, a gift is something that is freely given. Salvation is a total work of God and is therefore a gift that He grants to each one of us. What is salvation? Salvation is a gift from Jesus. And that is specifically part of the reward. Moving on, the second question is, how do we experience salvation? How do we experience salvation? Now, certainly there is the conversion moment, that first moment when we say yes to Christ and we follow along in His footsteps, and then we walk into this place of discipleship, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But how do we experience this, this moment? What actually takes place when someone says yes to Christ and finally says no to self? Just like we talked about last week, this dying to self and this yes to Christ. Let me illustrate it simply like this. There is a, there's a spiritual gap. There's a spiritual gap in our lives. And in that spiritual gap, in that place of, of separation because of sin, what takes place is this, this chasm right here. What takes place is we cannot be with God. So if God is on this side and we as a sinful person are on this side over here, there is no bridge uh, that we can create. There's, there's no being a good enough person in morality. Oh, okay, well, I've done enough good things. Some people believe that if you do more good things than you do bad things in your life, then, then God will look uh, uh, happily upon you and allow you into heaven. That, that, is, that is simply not true. In fact, who defines what's good and what's not? I mean, even on the, on the most basic level, and at the same time, if there was a, a path for us that we were good enough to be able to get into the presence of God, then we wouldn't need Jesus to begin with. Some believe that there, if, you, if you have the right philosophy or the right theology or understanding, it's all a cognitive practice. If I understand it just the right way, I'll have everything figured out. Some believe it's about religion, right? If I, if I go to church enough, if I go the right amount of times, if I do everything I'm supposed to, if I bang, 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 all the rules are, are met just simply like this guy that we were just reading about, then everything will be perfect. Some believe it's about good works. It's simply just about doing the right things and having the right attitude and, and doing all the stuff I'm supposed to. You know, the, the, this, back to this case study, this man specifically, he, it actually says that he was a good man. He was, he was a man who, who, one, who recognized the repentance that was necessary. But this man, he was probably able to stand on any of these four insufficient bridges. He did good things. He was religious, devout. He did the things he was supposed to as, as it pertained to the church. He had the right philosophy and understanding. He was a morally good person. He followed the commands. 
This man kept all the commandments, in fact, especially the ones that had to do with with people. The the, the need for inner obedience, however, is the thing that that primarily escaped him. In verse 20, it reads once again, Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy, as if to say, what else is there? Since I was a young man and I was able to to make the decisions on my own, at some point, you know, I, I, I was able to find out or recognize that there was a shortcoming here. So now what do I do? And right here in the middle, in that question, before he even moves on, Jesus does something totally different. He doesn't say, here's the rules to follow. Here's all the stuff you have to do. Instead, what it says is Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus's first thing isn't, here's five steps to make sure that you're good in the presence of God, and here's all the stuff you have to do. Instead, Jesus's first action is all about relationship. He looked at this man and he loved him. And the interesting thing most about this, the, the thing that's, that's most interesting is, is the recognition here that he didn't just look at this man, but he looked at you. He looked at me. And he loved you. And he loved me. And that recognition, that understanding that, that Christ's uh, relationship with us is more, this gift is more than simply just following the right steps or doing the right thing. It's all about the fact that Christ, he, he sees you, especially in your darkness. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you at your worst. And guess what? It doesn't matter. He still loves you. I can't put myself in Hosea's, uh, in Hosea's shoes, recognizing the fact that this woman is unfaithful, and he still goes after her. Jesus sees us in our unfaithfulness to him, and he still loves us. This is a difficult practice or a difficult thing to understand because this man, he specifically wanted the what's the one, two, three checkbox system that I can do to get in. And Jesus turns this whole thing on its head and basically says, no, 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 no. Just through that response right there. It's not about, it's not about the things that you have. It's not about the, all these other things. Instead, it is simply about this understanding, identifying and eliminating objects that we use to bridge the spiritual gap. Jesus' response to him is to eliminate the issue altogether. It's to eliminate the, the, this, this concept of, of, of thinking that we can do it. Instead, it, these, these bridges that are here in the middle, they simply serve as a distraction, as an idol sometimes, as the things that we attempt to try to use. This is not a literal call for all Christians to get rid of all your earthly things. It's not a, a passage that says, well, if you are rich, then you have to sell everything or you can't go to heaven. That's not what it's saying. Instead, what Jesus is saying here has more to do and everything to do with the fact that sometimes we put things in the way, things in between us and God, a bridge of a gap. And so what we have to do, what we have to recognize is that how do we experience salvation? How do we experience what God wants to do in our life? I'm trying to get there. It's not going. There we go. Identify and eliminate objects we may use to bridge the spiritual gap, whether it be religion, whether it be our our own means or our own thoughts, whether it be the the amount that we put in the offering plate, or or whether it be just the fact that we've done a lot of good things even in the past. And so God's going to look on those things and be happy. What he's saying to this man is, look, I love you. I see where you're at. I recognize you. And I am the one true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one true sacrifice for all humankind. 
Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a human pursuit. This is not something where we recognize that, okay, if I put everything aside and I get everything out of the way, then God's going to be happy with me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not robbing God of his power. I'm not robbing God of the transformation that he brings. However, we do have a role to play. In fact, I want to just continue for a moment. I'm going to put this slide back up. It's a little different than the last one. This one is a little different. So, so here's, here's the deal. If you, if you look at this here, you see the, where people are they're, they're, uh, that are in sin. And then on this side, you see where God is. And in the middle, we see this cross. You see the cross spans across the entire thing. It, it, it provides a bridge for anyone to walk across. It is there. It is for everyone. But let me just say something real quick. The person there on, on, the, on the right has already begun that, that, that journey. While the cross is there, the gift has been given, it's all, the, 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 the price has been paid, there still has to be a decision for you and for me to walk across that cross to the other side. And while God does the work, while he transforms us, we still have a part to play in it because we have to receive that gift. You know, on Christmas morning when you go down and, and depending upon where you're at or maybe for your birthday, whatever it might be, somebody gives you a gift. While it is your gift, while it is for you, it's not literally yours until you receive it. Yes, it is intended for you. The thought has been put forward. It is all for you, but it's not yours until you literally receive it. And salvation is somewhat the same. It is there. It is ready. God has done the work for you already, but it is not yours until, it can't, it can't transform until you receive it, well, until you walk across that cross. Salvation, once again, is a total work of God, but there's a part for us to play. There's a part for us to, to, to step forward and a part for us to engage in. We must, in all intents, in all ways, we must receive God's divine grace. We must receive the grace that God has given us. You see, grace is an interesting thing. Grace is not something that you can earn. Grace is not something that you can pick up at, at the corner store. Grace is not something that God can hand to you and, and you say, okay, here's my, my tithe or my offering. Thank you so much. And there's a transaction that takes place. Instead, grace is something that we receive because we can't do anything about it. Grace is something we receive because we are in our darkness or we are in a place where we cannot do it on our own. Receiving God's grace is an amazing thing because that's where transformation comes from. That's where everything becomes new. That's where we become a new creation in Christ. So how do we experience salvation? We do so by receiving God's divine grace. After Jesus focuses, turns here, uh, it's interesting that the sad part actually in a lot of ways is the fact that in this moment, in this, this specific moment, this man basically says, thank you for what you've shared, but I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can, I can give everything up. I've got a lot here. I've got a good reputation. I've got a lot of belongings. I've got a lot going on here. I don't think that I can do what you've called me to specifically, and, and to, to, to really do and to give up. And so in verse 27, it says, Then Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And this is a key verse because what this does, it illustrates this transition from, from, God's, or from Jesus saying, Okay, well, I've, I've taught the truth. 
And there will be some that do not follow. There will be some that still try to do it on their own. But at this point, in this moment in time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears and turn this into a teachable moment to express to my disciples, look, God can do real things. With God, it's, it's possible. Salvation is, is a total work of God. And every attempt to enter the kingdom based on achievement and, and merit is futile. And as we see this man walk away, we see the fact that he chose darkness. And apart from God's grace, no one can be saved. But we also see the fact that in this moment, there, the recognition of the fact that, hey, now that he's talking to disciples, those that are already following him, there is more to the story, right? And I talk about this often, the fact that while we do give our heart to Christ and there is this salvation moment, there's also something to be asked, something to be done, something that God asks for us. And that question, that third question is this, what do we do after receiving the gift of salvation? What do we do after we receive God's salvation gift? Do we just sit around and wait and, or, or, or do we do anything else? I, I can tell you right now, if you read between the lines, you see this in, in scripture already. The, the, the disciples are following Jesus. They're walking alongside him. You know, what is this whole discipleship process? Well, discipleship is the condition or situation of being a disciple. It's a follower or a student of someone, especially in this case of Christ. You know, discipleship encourages, it requires action. It requires for us to move forward in understanding. This condition or situation of being a follower or a student realizes the fact that, that, that we have this posture of humility towards the king, towards the creator, towards our God. This is different than mere attendance. This is different than, than simply just showing up. This is a, a subscription to, a lifestyle of. Not too long ago, one of my kids, we were sitting in the parking lot, one of my kids uh, wanted to drive. And I said, okay, that, that'd be fine. We can drive. We're kind of waiting here. And I allowed uh, you know, one of my kids to, to get up on my lap and I let them kind of steer as I pushed the pedals. And I, I still had kind of control of the wheel. And the, the whole time I was kind of guiding them along in this empty parking lot and everything was good. And eventually they said, wow, that was a lot of fun. We should take it out on the road. And I thought to myself, I don't know that you're ready to go on the road. And, and just then, you know, time kind of, uh, you know, looked over and my wife's coming out. And so I said, oh, uh, the store is like, okay, we're, we're done. And so they got back in their seat. And the more I thought about that, the more I recognized that sometimes that's what we do as believers. We say, okay, God, I'm going to stay in this seat right here. You can kind of sit over here. You can steer a little bit. But I still want to have control. I still want to kind of do my own thing. But pursuing discipleship centers specifically around this concept of basically not just letting God come over and maybe steer a little bit, but getting out of the car, putting the whole thing in park, getting out of the car, getting in the passenger seat, and letting God sit in the, in, the, in the driver's seat and drive us and lead us. And when it's time to go out on the road, he takes us there. When it's time to go on the highway, he takes us there. Whatever turn we have, wherever we go, God is the one who leads us. That's what it means to truly follow, is to let go of all control and let God take care. And then finally, the, the last part there as we continue to move through and we answer this question specifically, what do we do after receiving the gift of salvation? We recognize the fact that it's a journey. We recognize the fact that things are going to look a little bit differently, and that's where we lead into this discipleship is a combination of many things, a combination of promise and persecution. Promise, recognizing that God has promised that He will be there. Promise that He will grant us life. Promise that He will grant us strength. But at the same time, persecution, recognizing the fact that if, if we are to follow Jesus just like He was persecuted, we will be. 
And on the other end of that, blessing and suffering. The blessings may not be the specific tangible things that we may want or that we may desire. The blessings may be the things that He grants us. That, that whole concept of if you follow God and you, and you engage in Him, He will give you the desires of your hearts is not about recognizing that, oh, I came with this list of desires, now God's going to give them to me. It has everything to do with God giving us new desires. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me, Father, to have a heart like yours. That, that's all about us being formed to His will, not Him bowing to our desires or our wants. And then finally, suffering, which can be a difficult thing to recognize that if we step into this, there's going to be suffering, but that's really ultimately part of what it means to follow Jesus. Certainly, the disciples knew that, most of them losing their lives most of them being martyred for their faith. We might not experience that exact same situation, but we will experience suffering for the gospel in our discipleship process. What does it mean truly? What does it, what does it mean to, 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 to receive Jesus? What does it mean to walk through this whole process? What does it mean to experience discipleship? It means that we're going to walk through difficult times and good times. It means that we're going to, to have ups and downs. It means that we're going to maybe lose a relationship here and gain one here. It means that we're going to learn a lot through, uh, through positive things and, and through discouraging difficult times. But it always, in every, every regard, means that we're going to receive this reward of Jesus in our lives. In every aspect, the Holy Spirit will walk alongside us. In every place that we go, we know that the Savior of the world, the ultimate power, the one who has created all, that has created you and I intentionally and on purpose, will walk alongside us, will never leave us, will never forsake us. As the members of the praise team come forward, we're going to respond today um, in more of a, a traditional fashion. I, I recognize that in many cases, within the context of a service like this, that sometimes the Spirit leads, sometimes the Spirit brings forth a sense of conviction or a sense of encouragement or a balance of, of those things. And a lot of times within that context, what can happen is we feel that there's a need to respond, right? Maybe you're sitting here now or you're joining online and you think, you know what, I, I really... I feel like there is something, there is uh, something within the context of this bridge that I'm trying to build my own way, or I've been trying to hang on to something else. I recognize there's a void in my life, and I have not fully gotten out of the, the driver's seat and letting God lead. Or maybe you're, you're here, and, and you ha have, for whatever reason, given your heart to Christ, but you've, you've, you've chosen another direction. You've, you've backslidden. You've gone another way, and you said, you know what? I, I can do this on my own, or, or intentionally or unintentionally, you've picked up some other mantle of, uh, of, of, of direction or some other mantle of, of let something else sit on the throne of your heart. And as a response, you've found this place where maybe you have become the, the, the guider of your life. You have become the one that has brought forth in and of itself being uh, insufficient, but you have brought forth the power in your own life. Let me just say, I, I don't know if, if, if you're sitting here today and you can resonate with the man who came to Jesus who said, look, I, I want what you're willing to give, but I'm really not sure that I can lay down all these other things. I think of the, the trades that I made as a, as a young boy, and probably some of you can relate to this. 
When you're younger, you make a trade. You say, hey, you know what? I've got this baseball card. I'll trade it for this. I'll trade it for that. And I think of all the, the trades that I made with my cousins and different things, toys and, and other stuff. And I, I think about the fact that sometimes I was on the, the good end of a trade. Sometimes I was on the bad end of a trade. And typically when I was on the bad end of a trade is when it was like, hey, I'll trade you this really cool toy for like an ice cream sandwich. And you're like, oh man, that ice cream sandwich is so good. And guess what? 10 minutes later, it's gone. It's, it's a fleeting thing. It's, it's gone. But that toy, that thing is there forever, especially if it's a collector's item, which some of you know about those. I've got the, the thought this morning that maybe some of us are in this place right now and we're holding on to that fleeting thing, that thing that, that basically at the end of this life is going to mean nothing. At the end of this life is going to be uh, just a, a vapor, something that passes away. And we're trading the, the greatest gift that God could ever give us, the greatest gift that we could ever receive for something that simply is just a, a, a tangible, temporal thing. And sometimes that thing can be physical like it was for this man, but sometimes it, it can be spiritual. It could be mental, emotional. It could be a relationship. It, it could be pride. It could be stature. When I was in school and when I was in college, there was a kid that lived on my floor that all year he was working on this really important project for one of his classes. And every once in a while, I'd come in and I'd watch him work on this project because I was kind of intrigued by how amazing it was. And basically what he was doing is, is he was putting together, not, not in a traditional fashion, but he was putting together a masterpiece. And this masterpiece specifically was made up of many, many different colors, many, many different shapes of broken glass. He was taking all these pieces of broken glass uh, from different pictures and from different frames, and some of them he was, he was making on his own. He was taking all these things, and he was assembling them together to make a beautiful picture of the cross. It was interesting to me to note that the fact that this picture would not have been made possible without the shattering of all the other things. And I have to believe that this morning as, we, as we're here in this room and maybe as you're joining online, that God wants to break up some of the things that we're holding on to. He wants to shatter some of the things that we believe to be so important so that he can make a masterpiece out of you and out of me. I have to believe that God's saying right now, look, you did a great job on what you tried to assemble. You did a great job on putting forward and, and, and creating your own masterpiece. You did a great job on all these things, but I want to do something in you that you could never imagine. And you can't even see unless you're willing to let me break up to shatter all these pieces and to create this beautiful new stained glass window that depicts exactly the masterpiece that I always intended for you. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. No obligation beyond this. I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this song together. And as we sing this song together, let me just say, I know there's a tendency a lot of times to say, well, what are other people going to think? Let me just say, they're going to think, man, that, that is a person who wants to grow in their faith or wants to know Jesus greater. And I'll encourage you, if you're a person that sits and you see someone else come forward, that you pray with them. You pray alongside them. 
you pray for what God wants to do in their life. Or maybe you're sitting back and saying, well, it's already getting later and I have something I got to do today. And we just say, that thing will wait. That person will understand. Maybe you're in here right now and you think to yourself, well, I don't really know exactly what God wants to do once I get this figured out. Let me just tell you, you and I will never get it figured out. Oftentimes, God has to do those things for us to be able to see it and experience it. And so as we sing, if God's calling you, leading you to take that first step in faith or maybe that next step in discipleship, I want to encourage you to come forward to kneel at one of these altars. And maybe you don't have the words, that's okay. Your posturing alone says all that you need to say to God. And as you come and as you kneel, this be a moment for you to grow, to take that next step, to be open, to receive that next gift today, which is the reward that Jesus gives. And that reward, the greatest reward we could ever have, the greatest gift we could ever have is his presence. So would you pray with me and then we'll sing, Father, we thank you so much for this moment. We thank you for this time we could come. We thank you for the the word that you've granted us and just the the way, God, that, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And so God, as we sing right now, may we understand, may we recognize that you have a greater day. You have greater days, greater things than we could ever imagine. And Father, as we open ourselves up to you, you reveal those to us. May we not try to fill the chasm with something else, with with some other means, but instead, may we hear your voice, may we know you, and may we allow you to be the one who facilitates the change, the transformation in us. Thank you, God, for all you do. Thank you for how you move. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us sing together, respond as the Spirit leads. my broken pieces all my incompleteness take this shattered heart and make a work of art won't you show me Jesus what your love can do like a stained glass window to feel your light shine through Take 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.